Good evening. Omicron cases pop up. Is vaccination working as a new COVID wave sweeps the globe? And a blood bank draws conflict in the last days of the de Blasio administration. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Drianzo with the WBAI News for Sunday, November 28th, 2021. Cases of the Omicron variant of the coronavirus popped up in countries on opposite sides of the world Sunday, and many governments rushed to close their borders, even as scientists caution that it's not clear if the new variant is more alarming than other versions of the virus. The variant was identified days ago by researchers in South Africa, and much is still not known about it, including whether it's more contagious, more likely to cause serious illness, or more able to evade the protection of vaccines. But many countries rushed to act, reflecting reflecting anxiety about anything that could prolong the pandemic that has killed more than 5 million people worldwide, 750,000, nearly 800,000 in the United States. Meanwhile, in South Africa, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa said to Today, authorities are considering mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations as infections linked to a new to the new variant ushered in a possible fourth wave of the pandemic. But Ramaphosa added the authorities would not enforce closures of economic activities for the time being while denouncing wealth, wealthy nations in the West for swiftly imposing travel bans from South Africa following the emergence of the variant. We are one of the countries in the world that set up a surveillance network throughout the country to help us monitor the behavior of COVID-19. The early detection of this variant and the work that has already gone into understanding its properties and possible effects means that we are better equipped to respond to the variant. We pay tribute to our scientists who are world-renowned and widely respected and have demonstrated that they have a deep knowledge of epidemiology. There are a number of things that we already know about this variant Omicron. As a result of the work our scientists have been doing on genome surveillance. Firstly, we now know that Omicron has far more mutations than any previous variant. Secondly, we know that Omicron is readily detected by the current COVID-19 tests. This means that people who are showing COVID-19 symptoms or have been in contact with someone who is COVID-19 positive should still get tested. Thirdly, we know that this variant is different from other circulating variants and that it is not directly related to the Delta or the Beta variants. Fourthly, we know that the variant is responsible for most of the infections found in Gauteng over the last two weeks and is now showing up in all other provinces in our country. There are still a number of things about the variant that we do not know yet and that our scientists in South Africa and elsewhere in the world are still hard at work to establish. We have seen an average of 1,600 new cases in the last seven days compared to just 500 new daily cases in the previous week. 
and 275 new daily cases the week before that. The proportion of COVID-19 tests that are positive has risen from around 2% to 9% in less than a week. If cases continue to climb, we can expect to enter a fourth wave of infections within the next few weeks, if not sooner. This should not come as a surprise. Epidemiologists and disease modelers have told us that we should expect a fourth wave in early December. Scientists have also told us to expect the emergence of new variants. There are several concerns about the Omicron variant and we are still not sure exactly how it will behave going forward. Since the first COVID-19 vaccines became available last year, we have seen how vaccines have dramatically reduced severe illness, hospitalization and death in South Africa and indeed across the world. Vaccines do work and vaccines are saving lives. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa speaking today. South African officials are say they are outraged by the British ban on flights from southern African countries as several other nations have taken similar actions, including the United States. Many South Africans feel they're being punished for their transparency and their hard work to control the way the virus is mutating. Ramaphosa said... This is a clear and completely unjustified departure from the commitment that many of these countries made at the meeting of G20 countries in Rome last month. And the World Health Organization today urged countries around the world not to impose flight bans on southern African nations due to concerns over the new Omicron variant. WHO's regional director for Africa, Mr. Machizo Moeti, called on countries to follow science and international health regulations in order to avoid using travel restrictions. Moedi said in a statement, travel restrictions may play a role in slightly reducing the spread of COVID-19, but place a heavy burden on lives and livelihood. Continuing, if restrictions are implemented, they should not be unnecessarily invasive or intrusive and should be scientifically based. And according to international health regulations, which is a legally binding instrument of international law recognized by over 190 nations. Moedi went on to praise South Africa for following international health regulations and informing WHO as soon as its national laboratory identified the Omicron variant. And speaking on morning news shows, Chief White House COVID advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci says the South African discovery was worrisome. We have the the window into the mutations that are in this new variant and they are troublesome in the fact that there are about 32 or more variants in that very important spike protein of the virus which is the business end of the virus and there's about 10 or more of these mutations that are on that part of the virus we call it the receptor binding domain that actually binds to the cells in your nasopharynx and in your lung in other words the profile of the mutation strongly suggests that it's going to have an advantage in transmissibility and that it might evade immune protection that you would right. get, for example, from a monoclonal antibody or from the convalescent serum after a person's been infected and possibly even 
against some of the vaccine-induced antibodies. So it's not necessarily that that's going to happen, but it's a strong indication that we really need to be prepared for that, together with the fact that it just kind of exploded in the sense that when you look in South Africa, you were having a low level of infection, and then all of a sudden there was this big spike. And when the South Africans looked at it, they said, oh, my goodness, this is a different virus than we've been dealing with. Fauci defended the travel ban against the seven southern African nations, saying it'll give the United States a much needed breather to prepare a response. Even when you have variants like this, and there's a lot of unknowns about this variant, we know from experience that when you get a level of protection with vaccine and particularly now with the extraordinary increase in protection you get with the booster, even when you have variants of concern, you do well against them. It may not be as good in protecting against initial infection, but it has a very important impact on diminishing the likelihood that you're going to get a severe outcome from it. So this is a clarion call as far as I'm concerned of saying, let's put aside all of these differences that we have and say, if you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated. If you're fully vaccinated, when you diminish or stop or block travel, from a particular country there's a reason for that it's to give you time to do things so don't let this decision that was made about blocking the travel from certain countries go without a positive effect and the positive effect is to get us better prepared to rev up on the vaccination to be to be really ready for something that may not actually be a big deal but we want to make sure that we're prepared for the worst And the White House advisor refused to say if more vaccination mandates are in the offing with the uh, if the Omicron variant continues to spread. Travel in general causes a risk of increased transmission. It's the whole process of traveling, going to the airport, being in an airport in congregate setting, people taking their masks off. That's the issue that we've got to make sure that we adhere to more more closely and more firmly. White House COVID advisor. Dr. Anthony Fauci. Meanwhile, a recently publicized book, The Real Anthony Fauci by vaccination skeptic Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has swept to the top of the Amazon nonfiction book charts. It's number seven on the New York Times nonfiction book list. Kennedy says Fauci, far from being a hero, is a villain in the COVID story. He spoke on WBAI's Natural Living with Gary Knoll on Friday. What he did was a militarized response to COVID. It was clamping down totalitarian controls, uh, clamping down censorship, uh, closing churches, ending jury trials, which he had a direct hand in with the CARES Act, the PREP Act, of giving immunity from liability to all of these companies, of, of obliterating property rights in this country by closing a million businesses for a year without just compensation or due process. All of our other constitutional rights was a war on the poor. It was a war on our constitutional rights. And it was a war ultimately on democracy. And it did, it had, it was an absolute failure against COVID. Uh, Kennedy says instead of relying on what he calls unproven and dangerous vaccines, the government should have made drugs available as treatments. You know, there are many countries, China, the countries that use hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin in South Asia and Africa that have deaths per million of, you know, of two, three, four, five, ten, twenty, fifty, two hundred. We had in our country twenty two hundred 
deaths per million population. The drugs he mentions were never approved by a for COVID treatment. New treatments are in the works. Former President Trump was a uh, promoter of the drugs Kennedy mentions and used them along with other experimental drugs in his treatment when he came down with the disease in the White House. The president also made some comments about uh, ultraviolet light and bleach that seemed to do more harm than help at the time. Kennedy goes on to say China and other countries that relied on healthy alternatives to vaccines – Vitamins, minerals, different things along the natural world had fear far lower, far lower death rates. The rate of death in China was on, on a national basis was about three per million, according to the Chinese. And that's consistent with other countries that did early treatment. In our country, which didn't do early treatment, the death rate was 2,200 per million. So with close to 800 times what the countries that were doing early treatment, Tony Fauci's strategy was like, he never got on TV and said everybody should be taking vitamin D. As it turns out, vitamin D, 78% of the people who died from COVID were vitamin D deficient. There was a study that there are many, many studies that show that vitamin D really obliterates COVID. And that's... Robert F. Kennedy Jr., author of The Real Anthony Fauci, a book that is swept to the top of the Amazon nonfiction book charts, and it's number seven on the New York Times nonfiction book list. Meanwhile, in Europe, much of which already has been struggling with a sharp increase in cases over recent weeks, officials were on guard. The United Kingdom yesterday tightened rules on mask wearing and on testing of international arrivals after finding two Omicron, Omicron cases. But British Health Secretary Sajid Javid said the government was nowhere near reinstituting work from home or even more severe social distancing measures. Spain announced it won't admit unvaccinated British visitors starting December 1st. Italy was going through lists of airline passengers who arrived in the past two weeks. France is continuing to push vaccinations and booster shots as health officials announced today that eight people tested positive for the virus, but negative for all known variants of concern. Further testing is needed to see if they have the Omicron variant. David Wee, a respiratory medicine expert and government advisor on the pandemic in Hong Kong, agreed with that strategy. He said the two people who tested positive for the Omicron variant had received the Pfizer vaccine and exhibited very mild symptoms, such as a sore throat, adding vaccine should work, but there would be some reduction in effectiveness. And back here in the United States, both sides are telling the Supreme Court there's no middle ground in Wednesday's showdown over abortion. The justices can either reaffirm the constitutional right to an abortion or wipe it away altogether or wipe away uh, Roe versus Wade, the landmark 1973 ruling that declared a nationwide right to abortion, is facing its most serious challenge in 30 years in front of a court with a 6-3 conservative majority has been remade by three appointees of President Donald Trump. A, a ruling that overturned Roe and the 1992 case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey would lead to outright bans or severe restrictions on abortion in 26 states. That's according to the Guttmacher Institute, a research organization that supports abortion rights. The case being argued Wednesday comes from Mississippi, where a 2018 law would ban abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, well before viability. The Supreme Court has never allowed states to ban abortion before the point at roughly 24 weeks when a fetus can survive outside the womb. The justices are separately weighing disputes over Texas's much earlier 
abortion ban at roughly six weeks, though those cases turn on the unique structure of the law and how it can be challenged in court, not the abortion right. Still, abortion rights advocates were troubled by the court's 5-4 vote in September to allow the Texas law, which relies on citizen lawsuits to enforce it or to take effect in the first place. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul Durienzo. Here in New York City, much closer to home, the city council approved a controversial rezoning measure on Tuesday that will allow the New York Blood Center to expand its Upper East Side headquarters after a bruising battle that pitted the wealthy enclave against Mayor de Blasio and a majority of city uh, council members. WBAI's Jillian Jonas was uh, with the mayor last week and asked him some pointed questions about the project, which uh, she says, uh, in fact, is not necessary and would uh, uh, people in the neighborhood oppose because it would be so much larger than the current building and the surrounding buildings at approximately 230 feet in height. It also refers to something interesting within the uh, city council. The New York City Council usually has a rule that whatever the the district, the council member of a district wants, as far as development, uh, it gets the other, uh, there's solidarity from the other members of the city council in this case. And that was the reason, the rationale for the city council approving the now stalled plan to build nine foot tall, 10 foot tall uh, flood break walls along the East River uh, that was supported by council member Carlina Rivera. But uh, opposed by many others, it was uh, passed almost unanimously by a city council that said, well, it's our custom to support what a city council member wants in their neighborhood. In this case, interesting enough, Ben Kalos is the council member, and uh, he was in the minority of only 5 to 43, uh, where the city council approved the rezoning necessary to do uh, carry out the project. Uh, when asked about that, the mayor and others have said that, well, that rule only applies when we want it to. Um, Julian Jonas, as I said earlier, questioned the mayor about these issues earlier this week. Here's some excerpts. Actually said on, on record, they could function without that building being open and they're going to be closed for at least five years. It's um, about, but Jillian, it's about, it is about the organization which we depend on. It's about their sustainability as an organization, and it's about life sciences. I just, you know, I, I truly believe it would have been a huge mistake to turn this down, and this is something that's going to move the city forward. And in the end, you know, I'm, I'm someone who believes there is a right kind of development. I mean, this, you, you've watched for eight years. You know, I believe development should, whenever humanly possible, meaning where we have the power to intervene because of the public's role in zoning, should support the public's needs, public good, public benefit. There should be a vision, whether it's affordable housing, uh, park space, jobs, whatever it is that truly benefits the public good. And when there isn't such a vision, the development shouldn't move forward. Or when it's too little of an impact, we up the ante. Here... Neighborhood concerns were addressed in terms of height being brought down, but we, I believe, need this for the future of the city. So some people just don't want development. I respect that. Disagree with it. I think it's about getting the right kind of development, and I think this is it. That was Mayor de Blasio being questioned by Julian Jonas of WBAI. 
Councilman Ben Kalos, who represents the Upper East Side, was one of the most vocal critics of the project. As the fight over its face became, fate became increasingly fraught, Kalos suggested that uh, de Blasio was taking bribes on the deal by failing to repay his $435,000 debt to Kramer Levin Naftalis, a law firm that defended him against corruption probes and which represents the blood center. The council's approval of the land use change means that the blood bank and its developer partner, Longfellow Real Estate Partners, will be permitted to build higher. And it signals a major win for de Blasio, who made his intention known in January to make the Big Apple a life science hub in light of the COVID pandemic. De Blasio is stepping down as mayor on December 31st due to term limits and is expected to announce a run for governor in coming weeks. His deputy mayor, Vicki Bean, assisted the, uh, insisted the final project, uh, the blood center project, would be what the city, city says it'll be in the end, even if it's built after de Blasio leaves, leaves office, uh, despite uh, some doubt expressed by reporters. No question in all of our minds about exactly how this building will be used. Those restrictions will be imposed in the kinds of transaction documents that will come as the as the building closes, but they didn't need to be and they aren't appropriate in the zoning ordinance itself. And that is Deputy Mayor um, Vicki Bean. And in another uh, even uh, another development uh, conf- uh Controversy that this time going on on uh, West 14th Street uh, in the area, probably known from the movie, Se- the TV program Sex and the City, the uh, Meatpacking District of New York, which is now a, a very important nightlife center of the city. Um, two buildings, a string of buildings uh, located at 44 through 54 Ninth Avenue and 351 to 55 West 14th Street, right there on the corner being demolished despite a battle between the Department of Buildings and the Greenwich Village Society for Historical Preservation. The row of homes, which are part of the Gainsford Market Historical District, date back to the 1840s. The announcement surrounding the demolition was sent out via email in which Village Preservation wrote, the city has ordered the near complete demolition of nine city, state, and federal landmarks on the northeast corner of 14th Street and 9th Avenue. The buildings, occupied by retail and dining tenants, a um, steakhouse that claims to have been there since the 1860s on the lower level and by residential units on the upper levels are some of the only surviving examples of pitch roof row houses in Manhattan built between 1845 and 1846 in what they call the Greek revival side uh, style. Uh, they're part of the uh, market historical district, which occupies parts of 19 blocks within Greenwich Village and Chelsea and is next to the High Line, the, his, the historic street pattern of the neighborhood, as well as the lumber yard on 15th Street remain unchanged from those days. And uh, real estate developer Tavros Holding received permission to construct the tower behind and attached to the homes. This was met with pushback from the Landmarks and Preservation Commission. And then all of a sudden it was decided that the buildings were just too uh, fraught and dangerous to save. The mayor spoke about it also to Julian Jonas earlier this week. Uh, Buildings were in very, very bad physical shape, and that was what the determinant reality was. Again, I, I respected your question, but I truly believe there's been a strong commitment to landmarking. But as someone who believes in landmarking, I also know there are times when the physical condition of the building makes it impossible And we just got to deal with those realities, too. And that's Mayor de Blasio. In a letter to the mayor, Landmarks Preservation Commission and the Department of Buildings, Andrew Berman of the uh, Greenwich Village Historical Society, wrote about the extremely disturbing news. 
and exclaimed that it was shocking and tragic development, raising deeply troubling questions about the decision-making process and oversight which led to these circumstances and the complete destruction with the city's approval of nine houses built between 1842 and 1846 and recognized for their historic significance. And that's some of the news for Sunday, November 28th, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Max Schmid from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.